The following podcast contains alcohol-enhanced conversations about alcohol, as well as the potential for the discussion about topics of dubious, disturbing, possibly offensive, but usually hilarious interest. The opinions stated herein are solely of the persons making them, and any endorsement of these opinions by any other party is not implied. Foul language is likely, but intolerant viewpoints are not. Listener intoxication is advised. Welcome to episode 41 of the Whiskey Tangent Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Ed. And if you recall, over one year ago, we were forced to scrap some well-laid plans and hastily cobbled together our very first Scotch episode, episode number 23, in about a half an hour because of an imminent COVID quarantine going into effect in New Jersey. On that very day, we ended up comparing the Glenmorangie 10-year single malt Highland Scotch with its Speyside blended cousin, Monkey Shoulder, which yielded a fun episode, but one that we ultimately found to be unsatisfying from a whiskey knowledge standpoint. But tonight, we're hoping to right that wrong and simultaneously make up for lost time by doing something a bit deeper. Overdoing something, I would say. Oh, yeah. Overdoing. <laughs> You'll see. Uh, and featuring the person and scotches that we had originally planned to have on that episode. So, toward that end, Ed's going to start us off by telling you which seven scotches we'll be tasting and the brand new guest with whom we'll be enjoying these scotches tonight. Thanks, Gob. So, my friend Joe has joined us finally and he brought quite a collection with him i want to thank you for having me on it yes. is a year past when i was supposed to be on yes here. yes but covid ruined everything um, i'm looking forward to doing this tonight yeah uh, welcome to the podcast so great to have you and uh i mean joe's been listening to our podcast for overall two years so mm-hmm. one of our original fans yeah um so scott and i went out we got the balvany doublewood 12 year which we thought would be a nice you know next step for us and then um we left the rest of the work for joe joe brought <laughs> Two Glenlivets, a Glenlivet 12-year, which is what we thought he was going to bring to compare to our Balvenie. They're both 12 years, and we can kind of see the difference between them and talk about where they're from and all. But then he surprised us by bringing us the Glenlivet 18, which Mm. is just spoiling us, Mm -hmm. which we're going to get a little kiss of that. Luckily, there's not too much of that, so we won't get really fired up. But then, (laughs) and the real super surprise, and what I'm really excited about, since we featured the Glenmorangi original 10-year. Make sure you pronounce it correctly. Glenmorangi. Glenmorangi. The Glenmorangi original 10-year on our first episode episode 23 joe's brought that again but we're looking to do a spectacular extension on the brand by doing the la santa the nectar door which basically means it's like their equivalent of nectar of the gods and right. then right. the premium bottle signet a 200 plus bottle and it's a tremendous treat and joe's spoiling us rotten here today and so that's the seven scotches that we'll be sampling on this episode which is probably three more than would be prescribed by a sane person <laughs> completely unnecessary so this is scotch fest 2021 <laughs>
Scott? Yes. We're gonna do <laughs> yes, the, Ed. We're gonna do the <laughs> the Balvany Doublewood first. I have a description from their website. All right. And then I'll talk about the stats of it and right. we'll go right into the tasting of it. Later we'll do the Balvany history of the distillery. Okay. Okay. Ready? Yep, please. We are ready. 2018 marked the 25th anniversary of the Balvenie Doublewood, aged 12 years. This milestone is not only a testament to the craftsmen who have dedicated their working lives to make Balvenie the handcrafted way, but to the skill of our malt master, David Stewart, and you're going to hear a lot about David Stewart. Just fair warning, they love him. Uh, yes. Who, throughout his 55-year career, has changed the face of Scotch, work which earned him an MBE, which means a member of the British Empire Award, in 2016. Doublewood 12 was launched in 1993 using a process designed by David Stewart in 1982, now commonly known as wood finishing. Ed, comments? <laughs> <laughs> Too many jokes! But really, there's nothing better than finishing off with your wood. With your wood, exactly. Yep. <laughs> Sometimes you get in the rough, you know, and you gotta, you, gotta, you can't use your wood, you know, you gotta use like maybe like a rescue club. But uh, when you can finish with your wood, it's glorious. When you're in the rough, <laughs> love it. So whiskey that has spent at least twelve years in traditional whiskey casks, usually American oak, ex bourbon barrels, and moves it to Spanish oak, ex Oloroso sherry cask mm -hmm. for an additional nine months. The whiskey is then transferred to large oak vessels called tuns, T-U-N-S, for three to four months to allow the whiskeys to combine and gain a distinctive character with each stage lending different qualities to the resultant malt whiskey. The traditional casts often and add delicate character. The sherry wood brings depth and fullness of flavor, spelled with a U, <laughs> and the final few months in our tons allow the whiskeys to marry harmoniously. It is a wood-finished, as we said, single malt scotch, 100% malted barley, of course. Balvenie Distilling Company Limited, Dufftown, Scotland. The owner is William Grant and Sons. The proof is 80, and the age, of course, is 12 years. That's why it's 12. William <laughs> Grant and Sons, which, by the way, yes. appeared in our Fistful of Bourbon as the, um, yes. as the owner of the Texas Five Blended Bourbon. They put Monkey Shoulder out, too? They do, in fact. Yeah. Ed. So there's a little tie from our first episode. Exactly. I know. As, uh, as William and the Suns show up again. Yeah. Well, so, well, let's smell. Ooh. It smells very scotchy to me. Very scotchy. Not not the peaty, smoky no, scotch. No, but there's the, no peaty smokiness to this. No, no, there's just. So, what is it? What do I. This is a barley I smell? The, yeah. The malted barley. You may also be smelling the. Peaches. Uh, I'm smelling peaches. The Oloroso, the sherry influence in it. Mm. Yeah. Peaches. Interesting. Interesting. So, oh, like so many fruits that I can't even separate them out. Wow. What is the uh, proof on this? 80? 80, yep. Hmm. It's a really nice nose. A yeah. tiny bit of grassiness. It's not overly no, earthy. Earth, yeah, a little, little earthy. It's a little bit, but it's not overly earthy like we expect some scotches to be. Correct. Joe, what are you getting on the nose of this? I'm telling you, I, sm I smelled the peaches early. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But the uh, sherry cask, I can definitely, that's coming through. And that's what my taste has kind of gone to is like scotches that have been finished in the sherry cask. Yeah. Have you had this expression before? I have. You have had this before. Okay. I mean, I really like, I do definitely smell the peaches on the nose of this. I wouldn't buy this again. No, you don't like this? What, did you taste it? I just tasted okay. it. Okay. Um, it's not a bourbon, Ed. Um, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> this this is a man's drink. Um, it's um, I mean, you just put shade on a, on a whole lot of people out there, not just me. So, 
we only do first names on the podcast, but I will, we'll put his full last name and uh, address in the comments <laughs> at the bottom. We're going to dox him, is what you're saying? <laughs> We're just going to give out the contact information. All you have to do is send us an email. We'll give you his contact information. And, <laughs> and it'll, it'll come with a free egg. You can throw it at his house. <laughs> free oh. egg. The toilet paper roll, too. Why not? That's right. With a whiskey tangent toilet paper roll, each little square has whiskey tangent. Yeah, one has my face on it, and the next one has Ed's. It's mine <laughs> and then Ed's. <laughs> right. So it's annoying in the morning. I have to rip every other uh, frame out and just wipe with Scott. Right. If you only like one of us, you have to use every other sheet. <laughs> so um, let me, I, <clears throat> by saying I wouldn't buy it again, I don't like this as much as I liked either the Glimmer Energy or the Monkey Shoulder. It's a little bit too scotchy for me mm. it's a little bit too of that aftertaste it's just not my cup of tea i think it's a very good scotch i taste the complexity and i can smell the fruits but i don't taste anything except that scotch aftertaste yeah so we have not had a whole lot of scotches we've maybe done a half dozen on the podcast so far uh you really need to have this flavor in your mouth for a long period of time and several different iterations of it to appreciate it just i think like bourbons and rice so, Joe, on the taste, what are you getting? Um, with me, I like to have my scotches with a cigar, and it just reminds oh. me of like I'm getting that like cigar taste for some reason. Maybe it's just a memory of drinking this before, sitting out on my, <laughs> on my back patio. So you're getting, with, you're getting memories of... You memories yeah. of cigar notes. Hey, did you put water in yours? I haven't. Okay. We have our fancy right. new distilled water eyedroppers. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It opens up a little bit more of the sweetness and less of the barley character that I think, Ed, that is turning you off. I think it's a fine scotch. Um, There's some scotches that are sweet enough, Irish whiskey enough for me to like them, like I think the Monkey Shoulder. But I think most people who are devout scotch drinkers don't really like Monkey Shoulder. I mm-hmm. just recently had Monkey Shoulder. Yeah, do you like listening it? to the podcast? I, I went out and bought the Monkey Shoulder, and I have to be honest, I, I did not particularly care for that. And mm. my wife, I, I just passed it off to her, and she's drinking that. And yeah, she loves it, and she's not a Scotch drinker, so, so our, she's the bourbon drinker. Our, our first episode that we did, we kind of build it as two scotches that you might like if you are a bourbon drinker, and the Glenmorangie Ten Year and the Monkey Shoulder absolutely are. This one, I taste. Um, a lot of oak. There's a real like sharp yes. oak flavor uh, yes, to it. Yes, I can taste that oak. Yeah. And it's called double wood. So it's not really shocking well, that it has a... It's not shocking. It's I mean, true. just be honest, it's got... It's two different barrels used. Yeah, and, and maybe that's why you don't like it, because it, maybe it's just too much oak for you. Well, maybe it mixed with the way that the uh, barley hits. To quote Thomas Hayden Church from the movie Sideways, it, <laughs> it, it tastes good to me. Yeah. <laughs> so on the nose, we have smells like peaches... Look at that. Yeah, that comes right up front. Yeah, marzipan, cedarwood, and pine. Marzipan. Huh. What does marzipan oh, smell like? It's almond, almond paste. It's German, and they don't know anything about scotch anyway, so effing. I think a little bit sweeter than an almond. Yeah, it's like a sugary dessert thing. Yeah. Uh, honeydew melon. A drop of water tames the alcohol fumes and releases a ghost of heather, clover, and mown grass. Mm, yeah, see, it yes. releases a ghost of sadness on me. <laughs> ghost of sadness. Uh, on the palate, heavy with vanilla and woodiness. Mm. complemented by a toothy mouthfeel <laughs> flavors of freshly baked sugar cookies no caramel no and marshmallow no the sherry oak presence steamrolls in yes along yes. with notes of heather and farm stand honey but the result is a solid silky whiskey reminiscent of a bourbon mm. no yeah i'm not agreeing with that i'm not agreeing, I'm not, I'm not this agreeing is with the scotch bourbon guy in scotland who thinks he knows what bourbon this is scotchnoob.com uh interestingly the sherry flavor itself usually a dominant presence in sherry whiskey is light here yes. and in the background 
Agreed. Contributing only some dark plum and peach flavors. A few drops of water brings out some floral accents without diminishing the powerhouse oak. Powerhouse oak. I mean, yeah. yes. I'm yes, laughing at, at plum comment because Joe said off air, like, <laughs> who really can taste plum? It's a right. fucking it's, very subtle it's very, flavor. Very generic. And then oh. sure enough, there's a first tasting that we have is plum. All right. So what do you guys think of the finish? I, I'm finished now, so I'm happy. <laughs> And it's finished. Kind of, it goes away pretty fast. Like it kind of, yeah, it, it, it comes and goes away. There's not a long lingering finish to this. Yeah. Uh, there, I think there's less oak on the finish than there is on the immediate it, palate. Up front, it, right. It's so oaky, but it, I did put water on this and it kind of like fades. I also added some water and I typically don't do that to my scotches. Yeah. They say the finish is medium long, relying heavily on the wood accent, some caramel apple, blackstrap rum, toasted clove, cinnamon, and red wine tannins. Red wow. wine tannins. Is, is, is that kind of what you're getting? Because the sherry really isn't a presence in this. It's the oak, and it's hard to get past that. Overall, I like it. I'm not sure I would buy it again. In fact, I think I've had the Balvenie. I'm not sure I've had the Balvenie Double Wood, this one in particular, but I've had one of them before, maybe like added at a bar, and I just found it okay. I liked it. It was fine. I didn't regret buying it, but I don't think I'd get it again. I have actually just recently repurchased this. I, Did you? I bought this six or seven years ago, mm -hmm. and I remember enjoying it and just bought this five days ago. Oh, wow. So you do like it. I do like it. <laughs> Ed does not. Ed is on his phone and ignoring all of us. He's being a millennial right now. I'm. <laughs> it's not a bad scotch. I can identify what makes it a good scotch, but it just isn't good for me. And I'm okay with that. And Scott, do you like this? I'm trying to think if I like this better than the two scotches we did previously, and I don't think right. I do. I think I like the Glenmorangie Tenure, and I like the Monk Shoulder better than this, because this is a pretty right. intense I think, scotch. I think we have a trade with Joe. Yeah, just, I was just thinking <laughs> think, that myself, going, how can, am I going to work yeah. out a way where I can trade my Glenmorangie Tenure? That's a win for you. That's a step yeah. up for you, Joe. It's a win. Yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, a win we'll, for we'll me. We'll make that happen. We'll, we'll do some bartering off air, no doubt. <laughs> All right, because right, so, we have a lot of whiskeys to say. But so I have a history. Yeah. Uh, so the history is pretty short, and I couldn't find a more in-depth history. It's, it was kind of strange, but here it goes. In 1892, following the creation just six years earlier of his first distillery called Glenfiddich, William Grant built the Balvenie Distillery in an abandoned 18th century mansion known as the Balvenie New House, with whiskey production commencing on May 1st of the following year. In 1923, William Grant passed away, and his son John began the first expansion of the distillery. Fast forward to 1962, and a 17-year-old David Stewart joined the company, becoming malt master just 12 years later in 1974. At 29? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Their first single malt called Balvenie was released just three years earlier, but it wasn't until 1983 that Stewart began experimenting with different wood maturation, known as finishing today, with the first bottling of such experimentation called Balvenie Classic. In 1987, they released a 50-year-old whiskey, one of the oldest in the industry, and in 1990, sister distillery Kinnanvie began its operations as the third Grant & Sons distillery in the town of Dufftown. In 1993, Balvenie released three new single malts, the 10-year reserve, the 12-year double wood that we have tonight, and the 15-year single barrel. And thanks to natural alchemy and centuries-old craftsmanship, the Balvenie is unique among single malts as their whiskey-making process is dedicated to maintaining the five rare crafts. Number one, Balvenie claims to be the only distillery in Scotland that still grows its own barley. Mm. They are one of the few distilleries who still use traditional floor malting, 
They have their own coppersmith on site for maintaining their stills. They have their own cooperage on site for making barrels. And they have the longest serving malt master in history, Dave Stewart. <laughs> Dave Stewart, not to be confused with the guy from the Rivers, right? That's true. Thus, it is no surprise today that Balvenie puts out 27 different expressions, including the six scotches in their core lineup, but not including 25 additional whiskeys, collectively called the DCS Compendium, each of which celebrates David Stewart, his long tenure at Balvenie, and his unique and widespread contributions to the world of scotch. Wow. They have 50 Two expressions. 52 expressions. Total. You can't, it's you can't, insane. You can't call them lazy. <laughs> no, you can't. So that's Balvenie. All right, Balvenie. Thanks right. so much for showing up, Balvenie. And uh, we're going to trade you to Joe for the Glenmorangie. And we're going to make like a football draft day thing. Well, a whiskey to be named later. All right, so we're going to take a quick <laughs> break. And we're going to uh, wash the glasses and get ready for the next scotch, which will be the Glenlivets. The Glenlivets. And then we'll ask Joe, how the fuck do you get in the scotch? So the glasses are all cleaned up, and uh, we have poured the two Glenlivets. We have the 12-year and the 18-year. I mean, you know, you have to think about when you're drinking an 18-year-old expression. And this one, actually, I think it's been sitting around the house for, for about two years with Joseph. So it's really a 20 years. <laughs> oh, it, it's been longer than that. Right, so, well, wow. I'm just saying. I, I, I take a while to drink my scotches. We have I a lot enjoy of them. them. Joe's someone that is similar to me, unlike Scott. <laughs> Scott has a lot of whiskeys around the house because of the podcast. But deep down inside, he usually never really has more than four or five bottles he's actively drinking. It's fair. I have 36 bottles in my house. <laughs> <laughs> and you won't drink one unless you have a backup. I won't. I, yeah. I do, but it's uncomfortable, and I will put it's it. It's uncomfortable. I will put it away when I have half of it left, and I won't touch it till I get another bottle. Right. Because I don't want to run out of it. It's insanity. Right. Once I get below half, I stop drinking it until I, I okay, so you're, put the money you're, aside. Right. You're literally halfway so, between yes, us. Yes. <laughs> like, I still have some of the Blantons from our Blanton short, which was like a million years ago, I feel oh my like. my God, that was November, right? I think. I still have some of that because I couldn't get another bottle of Blanton's yet, so I simply won't kill that bottle until I get other Blanton's, and we all know how hard that is. That's so. um, true. Yeah. As hard That's as what it, she said. Right. As hard, <laughs> as hard as a boy in prom night. So. <clears throat> Harder than a boy in prom night. <laughs> wow. So, so they couldn't live it. <laughs> right. So the, the 12 and the 18, uh, I've heard about them a lot. They're very popular. Nothing tonight is obscure. No. We know that the majority of our fans are bourbon and rye drinkers like we are, but we know we have a lot of Scotch people out there that tolerate us or tune in for the <laughs> bourbon and, yeah. you know. And that's how Ed and I started just recently, within the past year, started getting dabbling into the bourbons. Why, yeah. why don't you give us your origin story now? We've talked on here about how we got into bourbons. Like, what made you jump over the American whiskeys and go all the way across the pond? Tell us how you got into Scotch. Well, I mean, it started early, Ed. I mean, the first four years, you're drinking nothing but milk, and then you get in the, <laughs> in the garden, and Dad goes... Uh, All of a sudden, the whiskey house shows up. Right. No. no, I will say, um, my, my buddies and I, we, we do a Phillies trip every year. 2012, we do a Phillies trip in Denver, Colorado, and we have, I don't know, eight to ten people going, and they decide we're going to go to a speakeasy. Mm. And mm. I'm like, what the hell is that? I never drank 
any liqueur whatsoever. Right, you were a beer guy. You oh, actually made your own beer I made for my years. Own, I made my own beer, and I didn't need anything other than the beer. Right. I was brewing that. It was great. We go to the speakeasy. We go down there. They go, oh, you just tell them what type of drinks you like, what type of bourbons, what type of scotch. I go, well, I don't drink any of that. <laughs> and I go... Um, since I don't drink any bourbon, scotch, whiskeys, I'll, I'll have a beer. And mm. they had maybe like two or three different beers to choose from. And it, it was a miserable night. So I decided, well, I need to stop being a wuss and I got to step up <laughs> oh, and right. yeah. I need to start drinking. May so not, may I'm not, like, bro. But I'm like, what am I going to start drinking? Do right. I, do I do bourbon? Where do you start? Do I do scotch? It was funny. I come back and I'm watching a movie and I'm not going to recommend the movie, but it will, it will <laughs> say the, the family man with Nicolas Cage. Okay. okay. So, I mean, it's like Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. It's ah. a, what would life be like? Got you. So, Nicolas Cage wakes up one morning, and instead of having his girlfriend in his wonderful car, he's got a wife in the minivan. <sighs> so, he's talking to the head of the company where he was working for when he was a single guy making all this money. Okay. And he turns to the guy and goes, you drink bourbon, but you offer your clients scotch. So, I'm like, well, that's interesting. He continues the conversation, and he turns to the guy second in command, and he goes, you like expensive things. He says something about his nice car and, and the types of cigars he smokes, and then he says, you're a single malt scotch guy. Mm. And I go, at that moment, crazy, just watching this movie, at that moment, I go, I'm going to start drinking scotch. Okay. And that was the... For me, the perceived more elite drink. And it is to many and, and people. And it's perceived. Yeah. Perceived. No, I mean, it's, I mean, it's not, not making, worldwide. Yeah. So Lincoln Financial Field is yeah. hosting the 2012 Whiskey Fest. Where the Eagles play. Where the Eagles play. Go and- Eagles! So I wound up that night going in there with my friends, and I wound up tasting probably 30 to 40 different types of scotches. And my first Fun night. that night, my first <laughs> bottle of scotch that I came home with was yeah. the Ardbeg Ooh. Supernova. Oh, and holy Ed, shit! Ed oh. has experienced yeah, that. I did, and I still have that. And here it is, nine <laughs> years later. I still have that original bottle. And nine years later, you can still taste the smoke from that bottle. So right yes. now, <laughs> I, I will tell. I will tell my experience. That was. I had no idea what I was getting into. Wait, Ed, is this your Ardbeg story? Yes. Oh, yes. Jesus. I mean, yes. It's actually, you could call it my first bottle of scotch, too. Yeah. Though. So I was over at Joe's house, and I said, give me something that's really unique that I've never had in the scotch world. And so he poured me, like, a small dram of the Ardbeg. It snapped my head back when I smelled it. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> fuck is this? Like, <clears throat> And so I drank it, and... All I can say is this: I've never had anything more terrible in my mouth. It was like it was like paint. No, but it was like grass on fire, on fire, dipped in paint thinner. And I swallowed it. And when I swallowed it, there was relief. But then this is a true story. There's so much complexity in Narbeg that my mouth almost missed it. As much as I hated it, but now it's gone. And now my taste buds have nothing to battle over. Like, <laughs> so I completely recognized the complexity to it. And I did spend the rest of the night trying to get that fucking aftertaste out of my mouth. But yeah. he did ask for a second taste. Yeah, I did. I had to experience it one more time because I'd never experienced anything like an Arbeg. And I mean, like, there's a big joke online about the Arbeg nation and Arbeg disciples. And, yeah, cult. Yeah, the cult of Arbeg. <laughs> and, and 
that's why it's still nine years later. I still have that original, my first bottle of scotch. You still, still have on the my bottle. Bar. Yeah. There's not much left. Should have brought it. There's no way your wife lets oh, you kiss I, her the night my, you drink that My shit. children don't even want to be in the same room with me when I have my glass mm. of Ardbeg Supernova. Well, you have very intelligent children, so that makes sense. <laughs> well, they're, yeah, they're they're, both, they don't take after me. They take after my wife. They're both incredibly bright people. Yeah, my, my first uh, really smoky scotch experience was with Lafroy, yes. and it was at this place in Philly. After work, we went to happy hour. I think it might have been called the Boilermaker because they made Boilermakers, which is okay. just a shot and a beer. Right. So they had a certain menu of scotches, maybe six or seven. And, and then on the other side, a certain set of beers that you could have them with. But they were paired already. So the beer that I wanted was paired with Lafroy. And I had no idea at the time what what whiskeys or scotches. I had no idea. Wow. So I got the whatever the beer it was that I wanted with Lafroy. I'm like, okay, I can do this. And I, I do the shot. And I start sipping the beer and suddenly the smoke hits me. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah. It's like somebody stuffed a, a burnt stick down my throat. We had more beers later and then we had dinner later and all I could still taste the entire night and the next morning was that smoke. It was ridiculous. And I was like, fuck scotch. Fuck it. Fuck it to hell. And, and here I am on a scotch episode on a podcast. Uh, and I kind of like it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where I started with that. I'm going all in. I'm buying scotches. Yep. And I yep. went with, like I said, the art bag. I have Lafroy. So you liked it right away, right? I you liked tasted it. it. Yeah. Well, I can't say I truly enjoyed mm. it. It was something I had a hankering for. Mm -hmm. You and really still, wanted to like it. I wanted to. Right. And, I, and then you did because a I, lot. Because I didn't want to be a wuss anymore. Right. I wanted right. something. I can go out and order a, a glass of scotch. Right. But that's why I still have my Ardbeg Supernova. Ardbeg Supernova. I'll drink Supernova. I'll dr I'll <laughs> An Ardbeg Supernova in the sky. <laughs> I'll, I'll smoke one or two cigars a year. So on okay. one of those cigars, yeah. I will have my Ardbeg with that. Well, yeah. And then sleep in the shed. The Ardbeg is smokier than the cigar. <laughs> yes. Well, exactly. Yeah. The cigar actually improves your breath. And what's keeping me a scotch drinker mm -hmm. is my wife is a bourbon drinker. Right. And knowing that she despises scotches, <laughs> I know my Ardbeg will still be there because she will not touch it. Well, if I go over, I would love to have just a little bit of it. Just for the experience of it. I yeah. should have brought that with me. You know what? I'll call my wife and maybe she'll bring it. No. no. <laughs> she'll bring it right now? She'll bring it over? Yeah, right. You actually only live 12 minutes away. Right. That's true. Uh, all right. So we'll just transition right into the Glenlivet 12 year. This whiskey has been called a lot of things in its time. Smooth, fruity, complex, sophisticated, entertaining, classic, and possibly terrible by Ed. The, the original malt whiskey almanac says, quote, a first class malt one of the most popular malts in the world, and deservedly so. Representing the Glenlivet's signature style, this classic malt is first matured in traditional oak before spending time in American oak casks, which imparts notes of vanilla and gives the whiskey its distinctive smoothness. The mineral-rich water that comes from Josie's Well, a nearby natural spring, helps form the flavors during mashing and fermentation, whilst the specific height and width of the copper stills add a delicate yet complex character. Keep a bottle on hand, for every occasion. Oh, come on in. Hey, what's up? This is Joe. Hello. Hi, Joe. Ed's friend, Joe. What do you know? <laughs> Joe, what do you know? I know Ed and I know Scott. Oh, see. And now you know Siobhan. Yeah, I now know Siobhan. 
All right, so uh, let's taste the 12 here. You guys have been smelling it already. I know. Oh, I've been smelling both of them. Very very fruity. Fruity. Um, I'm I'm getting the green apples. I'm getting apple. Oh, yeah, absolutely apple. Getting a little apricot. Any hint of plum. A hint of plum. I'm I'm getting a hint of plum. I'm getting a little orange uh, marmalade. It's in a basket, in a field, and with a pie. Oh, God, I wanted to like this. (laughs) It started out so good. It's so sweet and delicious it in the beginning. It smells very sweet. And the first flavor is, and then it ends scotchy. Yes. So I got to try it again. But yes. it was, the finish is not my I, cup of tea, I, but I, much better on the palate. As I tasted it, I was like, it is not going to enjoy this. Mm. Hmm. It's so dry at the end, though, isn't it? It is very dry. It dries your tongue. It just sucks all the moisture off it. Yeah, it's Astringent. Maybe, you're 100% right on that. It's like... It's like, remember the old cartoons when we were a kid where they would like make them suck in a handful of talc or something? And oh, yeah. And like, alum? Well, alum. Or yeah, alum. 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 <laughs> Whatever. I don't know what alum is to this day, but I know that in cartoon world, it made your face shrivel up. Yeah, they, you still use it in baking, I think, for some purpose. Yeah, wow. Um, I don't like this. Tastes good to me. <laughs> Thomas Hayden Church, ladies and gentlemen. So, Joe, I want to encourage you a little bit to try to... Name some flavors that, like, right. well, why do you like it? You're the scotch guy. Well, it, it, I, guess I, I don't want to put real, you on the I'm spot. Sweet, like, no. yeah, going back to the bourbon, that's that sweet drink. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing sweet about this at all. Uh, just a little bit on the nose and very, just, very, like, just, just a flash a on the palate. Hint. Yeah. Right as soon as it touches your tongue, you And then you it taste turns it. really earthy so and as grassy. Said, it turns it right into that yeah. scotchy <laughs> flavor. But I've trained myself over the, the last nine years. I trained myself. That's what I want. It's given me exactly what I'm expecting from interesting it. so from a scotch drinker's perspective this is really good to you yes yeah. I, i'm enjoying this immensely yeah so for me and they possibly for ed it's like sugar grass earth dry give it away give it away give it away now yeah and i'm gonna say that you know what this reminds me of mm-hmm. james e pepper rye oh it's almost the equivalent of that in the scotch world it's a very dry that's mm-hmm. kind of devoid of sweetness with a very alum like finish yeah. When I say I don't like it, I'm, I'm not saying that I hate it, but I just don't really enjoy this taste and I wouldn't seek it out again. And I can't give you a flavor that like, <laughs> what comes out that why I'm enjoying it. It's just that typical yeah, it's scotch a- flavor that I enjoy. As you see, like my glass is empty. It really is. So let's say on the, if this is again from Scotch Noob on the nose, a limited range of sharp and herbal notes, not silky or caramel like, but rather grass, hay and green apple. Holy shit. We did yeah. pretty good, actually. There is an undertone of sugar and butter like stale shortbread cookies. On the palate, there is cereal grain brightness to the flavor developing out of the initial burn with notes of vanilla spices and brown sugar. It is reminiscent of hot oatmeal with brown sugar and cinnamon. And I disagree totally with that. There is a dry note as well, mm-hmm. uh, like a corn syrupy sweetness instead of a malty one, but it's pleasant nonetheless. The finish is medium length with more cinnamon that rounds out the earlier flavors, but doesn't lessen the experience. I mean, I agree with, with I agree with sort of half of that. I found out that there are 6 million bottles of Glenlivet sold annually. 6 million. So they do okay. I mean, oh, that's yeah. nothing compared to what a Jameson does, mm-hmm. but, or a Jack Daniels or a Crown Royal. This is something I was just having a conversation. Uh, I was at my family for, uh, I have a bunch of birthdays in May. My dad and both my brothers are all born in May. So we have like this one big party for all of them. So I don't have to see them that often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a dick. Anyway, my dad was saying that he actually drank Glenlivet 
like in his thirties when he worked for some company and there was an older guy who was his mentor or something. And that guy was almost an alcoholic and he, he would really drink Glenn Livet. So this was what my dad actually drank, Wow! but my dad's not a huge drinker or anything. Like I think he was just drinking to kind of belong. He was kind of like you. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I I feel like I belong to, to some group. Right. Uh, I don't know. Joe likes it, but I don't think it. And I really uh, like I'll give it, it a thumbs much. up. Thumbs up here. I feel like we're in manly scotch world and we're just not measuring up today. Well, I think it's easier for me as a scotch drinker to transfer and move into bourbons. I think it'd be very difficult for a bourbon drinker to start expanding their taste buds into, you're saying this dry, barley, earthy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. scotch. Yeah. Right. It's not for everybody. All right. So, Ed, what are you doing? Are you right? Yeah. I was trying to see. I couldn't find how much Valvany were sold annually, but oh. we're going to try the uh, 18 years, see if there's any improvement. So, before we taste this, I have a short description. Over the course of 18 years, our master distiller, Alan Winchester, takes this expression through a combination of cask types, including both first and second fill, American oak for tropical fruitiness, and ex sherry oak for spicy complexity. The results of this deft navigation of the distilling arts is a gorgeous single malt that is complex yet elegant and balanced. The 18-year-old has won more awards than any other expression. Every bottle is a true example of the quality and taste of the Glenlivet. Any bottle deserves pride of place in your cabinet, perhaps to be held back for a fitting occasion. It is, after all, crafted to impress. Smell it. 18. I'm still drinking the 12. I don't, I don't, I don't hate I, it. I will say the 12 had more aroma than the 18. Interesting. I don't know what I'm smelling here, but... Ooh, oh, so... Um, so it's the uh, same match bill, of course. It's just older. Yes. Six years older. Okay. Oh, actually, it's higher proof. The proof of the Glenlivet 18 is 86. Wow. Wow, 86. I actually really like the nose. I, I like the nose better I on the 18 it's delicious than I do smelling. on the 12. Yeah, yeah. A sweet... Apples, yeah, you're a little gonna, bit of a little bit of of wood. So fruity on the smell, so sweet. Yeah. Um, it, it smells incredible. Much yeah. less of the barley spice that you got oh, on yes. the twelve year. Much less of the grassy notes. Oh, this is much more palatable than the. So we're tasting. Good. We're tasting. I taste it. I still don't love it because it's still mm. Glenlivet, but. This is much better than the first one. I get one. so much peaches on the flavor. Of this one. Wow. This one I get peaches. So much better. It, and I don't really like peaches, but it's fun to get it in something else that's not peaches. It's juicy. That is very, very good. This is much better than the 12-year. It, it's, it's been a while. I, I told you, it, it takes me a while to drink my scotches. Yeah. This 18 is spectacular. Ed, so much better than the 12, right? Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, I know now to spend the $27 and get the 18-year Glenlivet if I have to get it out somewhere and not just the $18 12-year, which whatever it would cost. Yeah, this is quite good. Wow, mm. what a difference six years makes. It's a and huge it, difference. And and only yeah. six points higher proof. Yeah, I killed mine because I was yeah. just dying to get a oh buzz my, on. Oh my he God. just wanted to start drinking something. something. Oh my God, guys, I just looked at the tasting notes. Wait, <laughs> do you hear the nose? Ready? I Honest to God, first nose note, hint of plum. <laughs> <laughs> hint of plum, but otherwise little sherry influence. Some vanilla, but not much wood. Where's the green apple? On the palate, nice thick body, creamy, not oily, golden raisins, fresh green figs, and sugar cookies. Finish, not as smooth as I have thought for this age. Vanilla again, and some small amount of bitterness. And the single word, anise. 
Anise. Wow. Ed loves anise. He does. He can't get enough anise. I really love it. Right, Siobhan? I have to keep my anise away from Ed. <laughs> Siobhan's like, what? I'm not involved. I love her anise. Oh, my God. Well, that's what I meant. It's, <laughs> Why am I surprised? It's been a while since I've had my Glenlivet 18, and this is spectacular. Um, this is great. I really like this. This is the best scotch that we've tried tonight. Yeah. Of the three that we've absolutely. had. Absolutely. Right, that's right, not, right. Even, not even oh. No. If that's what we're doing, then absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. That, that is yes. what we're doing. Of the three tonight, yes, this is by yes. far. <laughs> okay, maybe it's a low bar. but No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's an 18-year. Uh, what, is, what does this cost, an 18-year? Yeah. It was a gift. I don't know, Ed. Oh, well, we'll find out real quick. We'll have to look that up. Right. right now. I got it. Well, all right. While you're looking up the prices, I'll do the Glenlivet history. The remote and isolated Livet Valley made it ideal for illicit distillation. This is where founder George Smith learned his craft. Hidden away from the customs officers and soldiers amongst the hills and abundant springs, George had time to distill slowly, making a whiskey that would soon become world-renowned. In August 1822, King George IV arrived in Scotland for a state visit and asked to try a drop of the infamous Glenlivet whiskey. An illegal dram it was, but that didn't stop the king. It's good to be the king. Two years later, in 1824, after a change in legislation, George saw his window of opportunity to get licensed and become the first legal distiller in the parish of Glenlivet. This didn't go down well with the illicit distillers around him, and he was told he would burn along with his distillery. Damn. In a bid to protect himself from these sinister smugglers, he carried a pair of flintlock pistols with him at all times, making it clear he wasn't afraid to use them. Unless he gets attacked by three people. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Throw him. Right. His courage set the foundation for our whiskey today. By the late 1830s, the Glenlivet Distillery was producing more than 200 gallons a week, and by 1852, the reputation had spread beyond the green hills of Scotland to the smoky skies of London. Oh, wow. When Charles Dickens wrote to his friend urging him to try the rare old Glenlivet. He was recommending a single malt that went beyond his great expectations. <laughs> <laughs> With the passing of George Smith on November 27, 1874, the job of continuing his life's work fell to his youngest son, John Gordon Smith, who had been training for a career in law, but returned to pick up the reins of the business. And just in time, too, because competitors were desperate to take the name Glenlivet for themselves to capitalize on its popularity. John fought hard against these usurpers and in 1884 found the solution in a small but powerful three-letter word, rechristening the distillery and their whiskeys as THE Glenlivet. And if you look on their bottles today, that's what it says. Like the, the Miami University. Yeah, right. The Ohio State. <laughs> exactly. When John's second great-nephew, Captain Bill Smith Grant, took over the distillery in 1921, he was met by two challenges, the Great Depression and Prohibition in the United States. But as a decorated war hero from World War I, Captain Bill rose to meet these challenges head on. As Prohibition came to an end, Americans came forward, thirstier than ever, for fine single malts. And thanks to Captain Bill's perseverance through the Depression, Glenlivet was in the perfect place to serve them their drams. Their first major customer was the Pullman Train Company, who began serving miniature bottles of Glenlivet on their routes, helping to spread their whiskey across the continents. So I guess they were called train bottles then, right? Instead of airplane bottles? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, isn't that cool? An interesting fact is that Robert Lincoln, who was Abraham Lincoln's oldest son, uh -huh. was a president of the Pullman oh, Coach he? Company. Maybe he made the deal. I mean, he might have been involved in that deal. Cool. Wow. 
So the second turn of the century saw another vast expansion of the distillery, this time by current master distiller Alan Winchester, who had spent 40 years honing his craft and was just the man to ensure that the spirit of their founder lived on. So today, Glenlivet continues to follow George Smith's original vision to break traditions, set new standards, and move things forward. With 27 different expressions, utilizing both exceptional casks and different finishes like French oak, sherry, rum, and cognac in order to deliver unique pours and bases for cocktails, opening up the world of single malt scotch whiskey to everyone. 27 expressions. Uh-huh. When I'm standing there in the liquor store, <laughs> I don't see 27 expressions of Glenlivet. No, they have their core expressions and they have a lot of limited releases and like older expressions that are probably hidden in a cabinet because they're too expensive. Wait, is Wait. 150 possible for this? Wow. I mean, it's coming up total wine, 149. 144 somewhere else, 168 somewhere else, which is insane. It wasn't my money. I, my mother-in-law bought it for me. So yes, she would spend 150 on it. Okay. Okay. What a wonderful mother-in-law you have. Do you oh. always talk so highly about I her? I talk highly of my mother-in-law, yeah, yeah. my wife, my kids. I, yeah, I'm all blessed. the time. All the time. Wow. Scott, I am blessed. Yeah. You are. What a lovely family you have, Joe. Well, you know, there's only a little bit left. I mean, we should just finish it off. Right. For yeah. This we, Christmas, I'll just tell my mother-in-law, I need a bo- another think, bottle of Glenn right. at 18. Joe, please do the honors and pour the rest of it out in our Glen Cairn yeah. glasses. Siobhan, you want to taste the 18 you know to compare it to the 12 that you've already had? She's in the green room. That's the 18. Yeah. Yeah, she just comes out of the green room, gets the whiskey, goes back in. All right, so we got three down, and now the part, three of, down. The part I've been looking forward to all week. And the party's going to be started. The extension of the Glenmorangie. 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 I think we're going to drop Billy Cox in right here saying it. Brian Cox. All right. Well, yeah. I, I, you act like I went to college with him, Scott. Oh, you, Fucking, you, I've only heard him once today. We, we got my Cox in there. Right. Wow. Right. Siobhan, turn your back. We're going we're gonna to pull out all our Cox. <laughs> Winner takes home the signet. <laughs> no. the, uh, oh, oh, look. The signet's already home. <laughs> So we're back, getting ready to do our Glenmorangie. Glenmorangie. The extension on the brand that we did on our first episode, we have the originals back for us to try again, and then there's three uptick expressions. And before that, we're going to let Scott give you a very brief Scotch whiskey TED Talk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on basically what it's about for people who have no idea about Scotch whiskey. And for those who are Scotch drinkers, you might still learn a thing or two. Enlighten us, Scott. Yeah. So we didn't really do much of this. Like I said in the intro, we kind of cobbled together our episode really quick. We didn't like talk about what Scotch is and what the rules are. And yeah, what, right. Last year, Tom about Last year. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, they have um, five rules, six regions, and seven types. These are the five rules. One, must be made of only water and malted barley, plus optional cereal grains like corn. Number two, must be mashed, fermented, and distilled to no more than 94.8% alcohol by volume, matured in oak casks, not exceeding 700 liters for a minimum of three years in Scotland. Number three, must not contain any additives other than water and caramel coloring. Interestingly. Wow, you're allowed caramel coloring in you Scotch. Are, you are. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, number f- Yeah. Rule number four. 
must retain the characteristics of its raw materials production and maturation methods. In other words, it must smell and taste like a whiskey. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that a great rule? And rule number five, the last rule, must be bottled at no less than 40% alcohol by volume or 80 proof. Is there something about that that keeps stuff from spoiling? Because that's the American rule as well or did america just get that from scotland uh, the 40 yeah. percent abv the 80 proof yeah. Uh, maybe yeah that that's a pretty ubiquitous whiskey proof level yeah absolutely so there are six regions some of these are disputed some say four <laughs> some say five some say six on our original podcast you said four regions yeah so uh, they've through. discovered two more since scott uh, no that's not true found google no but like i said it's kind of disputed and even though like i just read a whiskey advocate it's like these scotches kind of belie where they're supposed to be categorized in because again it's just generalizations not every scotch from every region is going to taste the same but in general these are the six regions well, number one, Highland. The Highland area is the largest Scotch region by size. These are the Glenmorangies that we're going to taste very soon. Because of this, it also produces a huge range of styles and flavor profiles, ranging from very sweet and malty to very dry. North Highland malts are usually lighter in body. West Highland malts are slightly smoky, yet still less peaty than nearby Isla. Distilleries of note are Balblair, Brora, Dalmore, Glenmorangie, Lach Lomond, and Royal Blachla. I'm totally overdoing it. It's like you're speaking in Klingon to me. (laughs) I am. Kaplach. Number two, Speyside. So these are the whiskeys that we had already tasted tonight on the podcast. The Alvany and the Glenlivets. The region gets its name from the River Spey, S-P-E-Y, which incidentally provides the water to many of the distilleries in the region. Over half of Scotland's distilleries are located in the Speyside region, accounting for nearly two-thirds of all Scotch production. This was the reason for it being considered its own region because it was once part of the Highland region. Oh. So it split off at some point. Uh, the scotches produced here are the sweetest that you will find in any other area of Scotland. Also in Speyside, you will be able to find many different scotches that are either light and floral or rich and sherried. The distilleries of note are Arvalor, which we wow. like the, oh, we like the, uh, the yes, Abuna. Yes. The Balvenie, the Benriach, the uh, Craiglachy, <laughs> the Glenfiddich. Glen Moray, Glen Roths, the Macallan, and the Speyburn. Okay, so number three region is the Island region. Many consider the Island region to be a middle ground between Isla and Highland scotches, which makes sense considering it's designated as a subdivision of the Highland region, just as Speyside was. The area is made up of islands of Skye, Mull, Orkney, Iron, Jura, and Lewis. The whiskies produced here are seen to have a coastal taste, with more sweetness and less peatiness than those in Isla, but more so than other Scotch regions. The distillers of note here are the Arran, Highland Park, Jura, and Talisker. I've seen Talisker. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Number four region is the Isla region, spelled I-S-L-A-Y. This region's scotch is defined by the dramatic sea climate that surrounds it. It is an island like those other islands, but it is a region unto itself because of its whiskey characteristics. Nicknamed Whiskey Island because of the concentrated number of distilleries found on the isle, the aptly named Isla scotches taste strongly of the sea, adding notes of brine and strong peaty flavors. If you're looking for an incredibly smoky scotch, the Isla region is the place to look Distilleries of note are Ardbeg, ah, Bowmore, yeah. ah. Brooklady, Lafroig, uh, Lagavulin, and Lafroy. Wow. Yeah. That's all terrible. Exactly. <laughs> if, if, uh, global warming is a terrible thing, but if the ocean should rise and, <laughs> and cover that island, my life would be better. Oh, wouldn't be a tragedy to end. <laughs> uh,
All right, so number five, the Lowlands, which are the southern part of Scotland. So if you've never heard of Lowland Scotch, it's probably because there are only three active distilleries left in the region. A stark comparison to the roughly 200 that were once pumping out whiskey. Wow. Produced in the southern part of Scotland, the scotches here are usually lighter, have grassy notes, and can be considered more delicate than other whiskeys. A great place to start if you've never had scotch before. Distiller is a note as Akintoshin, Glen Kitchy, and the King's Barn. Never had any of those. Yeah, we've had the Akintoshin actually and it's why the akintoshin has its foot kind of in irish whiskey because of uh it's light it's a very light and the region kind of steals a little bit from irish techniques yeah in a way. yeah and the last region uh the sixth region the campbelltown as with the lowland region the campbelltown region was once home to many more distilleries than exist today now you'll only find again three operating distilleries the scotches here are known for complex flavors and a slightly oceanic salty finish, similar to what you would find in the brininess of Islay scotches. Overall, though, Campbelltown is a good place to search for rich, robust whiskeys that are not necessarily smoky. The distilleries of note here are a Glengyle, Glen Scotia, and Springbank, none of which I've ever heard of. Wow. So the last thing we do is the seven types of scotch. So there's malt scotch. It's whiskey made of only malted barley and a pot still. Very simple. The single malt is malt whiskey from one distillery. That's all single malt is. Then there we have grain, whiskey made from malted or unmalted, cereal grains including wheat, corn, barley, and is typically made in a column still, not a pot still. Number four, the single grain is grain whiskey from, again, one distillery. So single means just a single distillery, not a single grain. Even though it's called single grain, it's very confusing. Number five is a blend. This whiskey is a mixture of whiskeys from different distilleries, typically using both malt and grain whiskeys. Then you have your blended malts, which are just single malts from different distilleries. And then the blended grain, which is grain whiskeys from different distilleries. And that's it. That is your scotch primer. Everything's so clear now. (laughs) And I'm thirsty. I deserve a dram of uh, whatever the Glenmorangie that we're going to be drinking first. So according to the Glenmorangie Company, the earliest record of alcohol being produced on the site goes back to 1703. What? Um, But it was beer. They're a brewery. Okay. Until official brewery was built in 1730s. And the former distillery manager, William Matheson, acquired the farm in 1843 and converted the Morangie Brewery to a distillery. The Morangie Brewery? Yep, it was just Morangie. Gotcha. Equipped with two secondhand gin stills, he later renamed distillery Glen Morangie. But- like all of the distilleries that we've seen over the years, there's always ups and downs and changes. So you really don't get a continual product and ownership. Now, right. they claim that the original tenure, that recipe was produced over 175 years ago. Oh. That's what they say. Now. This tenure. This tenure. That we tasted before and we will taste again. That's sitting in our glass right now is supposedly the same recipe and the same product that they made 175 years ago. All right. But the reality is, distillery was eventually purchased by their main customer, the leaf firm of McDonald and Muir, in 1918. And they would retain control for 90 long years. Now, like all distilleries in Britain, they suffered during the Depression and Prohibition. Right. And then they also shut down during the war years. But after the war, the company really became the company it is today in 1948. All right. And the water supply became a concern in the 1980s, so they bought 600 acres so no one could develop around their water supply, which was the same. Smart. 
Tarloji Springs uh, that they've always used. And then they expanded the 90s and then they eventually were purchased in 2004 by Moet Hennessy Louis Vuitton oh. for 300 million uh, yeah. euros, yeah, yeah. it looks like. Louis Vuitton, where you can get a free bag with your whiskey. <laughs> right. So they have a lot of expressions. Their core lineup is the original and La Santa, which mm-hmm. we're going to be trying today. Mm-hmm. The Quintin Ruban, Ooh. which we're not going to be trying today. No. The new product by them, X by Glenmorangi. Joe, why didn't you bring us these? I didn't know they existed. X is brand new. <laughs> It's $36 a bottle. It is priced to make cocktails with and only cocktails. That is why it was made. That's what they want you to do with it. Okay. And then there's the Nectar Dior. Then in their prestige range, they have 18, 19, 25, the Signet, which we're going to try tonight, Pride 1981, Pride 1970, Pride 1974. That was whiskey that was barreled in 1974. Okay. It was bottled 40 years after that. There's 503 decanters, which sold for $9,700 each, I think. Jesus Christ. Um, That was highly... But you're buying 40-year-old scotch. Uh, I I, guess. And uh, they did 20 years... In oak barrels, and then they think they did another 20 years in sherry bottles. Ooh, patience. So, Fuck. yeah, patience, wow. right? Yeah. So, like, the people who bottled them died, pretty much, probably, <laughs> right? If you're, like, a 50-year-old, like, you know, rickhouse worker, you, you rolled that barrel in there, and you went home, and you died before that ever got bottled. Right. You push it back into the rick, and you're just like, yeah. I am never going to see this. Right. So... I feel I'm depressed. I feel sad. Well, I mean, other people die for like nothing. This person provided whiskey for the world. I think their kids should be proud. <laughs> so they have something called cake. Ooh, a, I'd like uh, some cake. A, yeah, like a taste of cake or something. And there's just too many to name. I'm not going to go through. Again, like all these distilleries have so many expressions. This past Christmas, my mother-in-law bought me Glen Morangi. No. You might say that. No. Glen Morangi. Glen Morangi. Glen Morangi. Extremely rare. And I actually had tears in my eyes when oh. I'm opening this up. Wow. And here we are. What, what, what's today? June? It's already gone. <laughs> I, I, I finished that. In, you, you, in, you drank that in all? Less than six months. Well, well, oh, geez. Six months. That's nothing. Six days bourbon around here. So, this is the most interesting story I found about Glenn Morangi. No. Glenn Morangi. Oh, Glenn you're right. I, I did say it right. I, I changed and you ruined it. I fucking said it right for the first time. Well, say it again. Random belligerence. Say it right twice in a row. I dare you. Edition. Clear more energy. Very nice. Uses a number of different cast types, with all products being matured in white oak casts, which are manufactured from trees growing in their own forest in the Ozark Mountains of Missouri, United States. Oh wow. These new casts are left to air for two years before being leased to distillers Jack Daniels and Heaven Hill for them to mature bourbon in for four years. Cool. Then Glimmerangi takes these barrels back to mature their own spirits. The original range will mature entirely in ex-bourbon casts, while the extra-matured range bottlings are transferred into casts that were previously used to mature other products such as wine, port, or sherry in the process called finishing. So they have a whole production line yeah. just for their finishing barrels. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you would. But they have their own forest. If that, you, They have their own forest. They have their own that's forest amazing. in America. Yeah, that's amazing. I love it. <laughs> so they had to come over and be like, you know, we're going to make our own barrels. We're going to air them and let them age for two years. We're then going to lease them to Heaven Hill and Jack Daniels. And then when they're done, when they dump those and bottle that whiskey, then the bourbon cask gets sent overseas to Scotland. Yeah, so the, the whole reason why they used the peat 
moss to smoke their barley to stop the germination so right. they could have the malt is because they didn't have a lot of forest wood to burn. Right, right. So Yeah, so right. that, that was the whole reason for that scotch has that character to it in the first place. All right, we're going to do two at a time here with the uh, Glenmorangie. Yeah. The tenure, which Joe despises, is about $46 now. <laughs> which Ed um, and I actually kind of like. Um, <laughs> it's basically a delicious go-anywhere type of bottle made in their giraffe high stills aged 10 years in bourbon casks and um on the <laughs> nose you're looking for something very fruity and thick with oh, notes of lemon it's... nectarine and apple and some spice i'm spelling all of that yeah yeah we did this on our original right. scotch episode without joe and we had a bottle for the following year's march madness interesting i don't like this as much as i liked it last year the taste is just okay it's just okay. It's well, a little thin. Yeah. 86 it, proof. 86 proof. So we've tasted some pretty intense scotches. Yeah. That, that, that I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think that whether you like the scotch or not, the scotch beats up your, you know, taste buds taste pretty buds, good. It's yeah. a very intense flavor. And right now this is coming up very thin for me. Interesting. Because it's not really coming up thin for me in terms of alcohol presence. No. No, uh, it's burning. But flavor wise, yeah, I agree. It is a little burning. And I agree that the flavors are coming up weak right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting a lot of spice from the barley. I'm getting a lot of sweetness that's not very distinct. But that's about it. Yeah. It's so funny to taste this, having already tasted three pretty intense scotches right. that are really in your face, two of which Ed and I didn't really care for it. But this is coming up short now. Yeah. It's very, very mediocre. It's a lot of fire, not a lot of flavor. It's a little sweet. Um, I wonder what the monkey shoulder would do but right I, I now. I will <laughs> say, our deal is made. I have traded this bottle Absolutely. away. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean. For my Balvenine no, Doublewood. Yeah. Oh, no. This is still better than the Doublewood for sure. Well, no, no, no. For I me. disagree with for that. For me. For me. <laughs> so we're going to try the La Santa. I'm really. I mean, the color They're, difference between the two of these. So at every corner of the world, the setting sun is magical. Dramatic. Dr. Bill. Now, Dr. Bill oh. is their director of whiskey creation. All right. This whiskey is Dr. Bill's attempt to bottle the magic of sunset. It's distilled and then matured in bourbon and sherry casks for 12 years, transforming it into a mouth-watering odyssey, bursting with rich spiciness and sun-drenched sweetness. Mm. $64, and you're looking for plum and baking spices on the nose, supported by milk chocolate raisins. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> like Glen Morangy, La Santa, this is my oh. go-to scotch. It's always on my bar. Oh. I have a bottle waiting to go before this is emptied. All right, so the color difference, the Glenmorangie original 10-year is basically yellow. It looks like Bushmills. And the La Santa is amber. Oh, it's funny. All the plum and the baking spices, the milk chocolate raisins, the caramel, toasty oak on the nose, the palate as a dash of tart raspberry. I taste almost all that, honestly. I, chocolate I, raisin is an amazing taste profile because I would never have grabbed that out of the air. Right. But I absolutely but taste after, the chocolate and i absolutely it, yes. taste like a really rich dark fruit are you getting a smoky end to this mm. a smoky end like a finish i mean i'm smelling smoke mm. a very faint yeah. whiff of smoke i'm, I'm smelling yeah. it. i'm so disappointed in how i don't like this and i wanted to like this one the most there is a little bit of smokiness on the end there is a little but it's, i'm not going to say this oh, is a smoky no at all this is it, not it, a smoky to me scotch. it's not off-putting but i will say that i think i like the glenlivet 18 
a little better than this. Oh, me too. I'm really glad that everyone's tuning into our last Scotch episode. I want to appreciate everyone for coming out to this. This has been great because I can't see how I'm going to sit through another hour of even worse scotches than these. Wow, you're just so close-minded. What is close? I'm trying scotch after scotch. We told where have you been? This is my fourth, it, fifth it, scotch. Ed is a bourbon <laughs> drinker, which is fine. He I drank likes, five he scotches. His, on close-minded. He likes sweet. He likes his sweet drinks. I'm gonna, yes. I'm and gonna, how many have you liked? I'm going to one. I'm gonna, so I'm going to tattoo fuck scotch on my chest and go out in the world. <laughs> Yeah, fuck Scott. Yeah, then you'll say fuck Scott, and I'll be like, like I, I knew it. I didn't. I, I, I didn't bring enough money for the a, for the H. And you're not enjoying this. No. Wow, that that's amazing. Wow. So, like I said, I like the 18 year Glenlivet better than this, but I actually do like this. I'm getting like almond cookie and stuff in it. Yes. Like, um, well, yes. The, I, I'll tell you, I want to taste this thing that's so bad, and I feel like the thing that can only disappoint me now. <laughs> No, it, it, is, it is not going to I disappoint I feel like it can only end. hurt me. All right, so Total Wine has this for $53. There you go. That's where I got it. So, $53. $53. Wow. All right, so this is a steal this is at $53. Why it's, it's on my bar constantly. Where's my monkey shoulder at? So I, like, oh. I need to cry on my monkey oh. shoulder. No monkey shoulder. I see what shoulder. you did there. Hold me closer, monkey shoulder. <laughs> All right, so... We're going to take a very quick break this time. This, quick, this episode quick. that never ended. So yeah, so give us two <laughs> minutes. We'll be right back. Okay, so we're back, and Joe gave us friendly bartender pours <laughs> of the next two expressions, the very high-end expressions of Glenmorangie, and Ed is going to tell us a little bit more about both. Right, the uh, Nectar, uh, which is $82, part of the regular line, and they have a very interesting master distiller there, you know, Dr. Bill. He said that- Dr. Bill. This is reminiscent of entering a pastry shop for the first time, and it's mm. a moment of finding your senses deliciously overwhelmed, breathing in sweet scents, and wishing you could take a bite of every creamy, flaky treat you see. Wow. After it's aged in American oak bourbon cast, along with other casts that held Saturn sweet white wine, mm. the outcome is like a silky dessert-filled daydream of white chocolate swirled mm. with lemon cream white chocolate. and cream Fuck caramel. white chocolate! Random belligerence. Fuck white chocolate edition. Sorry, go ahead. Ed. Almond croissants, all balanced in a soft drumbeat of spice. Each sip is like sending your senses on a holiday to a French pastry shop. <laughs> wow, almond croissants. It's funny you say that, Ed. I'm going to France this summer. I've never been to France. I've, I've, I've never been to France. But you've gone to Europe. I've you've, been to Europe, but I've been been never Europe. been to France. But I was in French Canada once. Canada? French Canada. Yep. No, that's That's not how a, they say I, it, I think. Yeah, I've been in Montreal. Yeah, because that's where the vampires live. Yeah. As we learned on the Caribou Crossing. Because that's where Sazerac was from. <laughs> no, no, that's not where they're from, but they well, own they, right, a lot right. of stuff there. Right. Well, I'm saying in Canada, that's where they're from. If you're looking for Sazerac in Canada, you go to Montreal. Well, oh, sure. Yeah. Don't defend the vampires. No, no. <laughs> no, you're right. Okay, you. so okay. this is around $82. And it's, um, oh, wow. So well, let's take a smell of this. I don't like the smell. 
I mean, I don't know what else. What, I mean, <laughs> they're saying I should smell lemon curd, yes. vanilla shortbread, followed by oak spice and gingerbread. Dried fruit follows a drizzle of runny honey. Now, I don't <laughs> know how you honey. smell runny honey. Wait, but, runny honey? Yeah. No, but I absolutely Not, smell lemon yes. and gingerbread, absolutely. which which is really strange to smell both of those in the same whiskey. Mm. Ooh. I might have to drop some water in there and open up the flavors. <laughs> wow, this is really nice. I would say this is my favorite scotch of the night. I'm still not tasting the baklava, and I love baklava. Mm, mm. I just said I think this is my favorite scotch of the night. No, no, I, I heard you, Ed, no, no, and over, I'm trying to decide. I mean, if that doesn't qualify as me being open-the-fuck-minded, I want credit for that. Wow, why are you so salty well, no, about I'm that? Not, I wasn't salty at all. Y'all stepped this way. You came at me hard so I'm just saying that after tasting the fucking nectar <laughs> of the right. God, it is no, very, I'm not done yet. Ed, so you're like, done when I say you're done. Fred, he's doing come. it again. See, Joe, this is what I told you about Fred. Right. And yeah, he's getting too big for fucking britches. Ed's whiskey, non-scotch podcast. Let's go. Non-scotch with the S C O T. Two T's. Two T's. The, the non-scotch non -scot podcast. <laughs> Good luck editing this bitch. <laughs> It'll just be a free conscious form of me just talking nonstop. So when I drink whiskey, I think whiskey is something that I kind of like. And it, <laughs> right. So if it was just Ed on this podcast, it would be three hours of Ed talking, <laughs> punctuated every four seconds right. by, I want to lick Siobhan's ass. <laughs> Siobhan does not look like she's in on that. No. Oh. She's got her hand over her face. She's on her phone. She's like, oh my God, why am I even here? Yeah, but she's looking at pics I sent her on her phone. That's why she's on her phone. <laughs> Oh, my God, dick pics. You yeah. do not send dick pics anymore, Ed. <laughs> no, I don't. Only of Dick Sargent from the Bewitch fame. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to the whiskey. Ed, you said that this was your favorite of all the whiskeys that we've had so to far tonight. Absolutely not tonight. Yep, tonight. I've just topped off some more of it to try it again, and I taste a little bit of the chocolate notes in it. I can definitely taste the Sauterne finish, which is adding a tremendous sweetness to the finish. This is really good. Mm -hmm. This is very close to the 18-year uh, Glenlivet. Glen yeah. But better. It's sweeter. It's got a sweeter finish. It is sweeter. And, and that's why you like that sweet but taste mm -hmm. to it. Similar to the 18, it does have a dryness to the finish. It's dry, but it doesn't like suck all the no, moisture right. out of it. It's not as dry. And yeah. that was the Glenlivet, the, the 12. One. I think it was the 12, the 12 that was the really okay. super dry one. Yes. I think the 18 one was the one we all pretty much agreed on until this one. Yeah. So as we move into the last expression of the night, the signet, this is what they say. As Dr. Bill, our free-thinking director of whiskey creation, enjoyed a cup of his favorite Jamaican Blue Mountain coffee, Oh. the notion of signet first came to him. At once his mind filled with spiraling mocha flavors that he could not forget. Ooh. It would take him years to bring our unprecedented whiskey to life. But in its tiramisu tones and melting chocolate, you can taste his most delicious imaginings. Sydney begins with our precious chocolate malt spirits made just once a year and our giraffe high stills. Its espresso-like intensity fills the distillery with aromas more familiar at an Italian coffee bar. Over the years, we temper its power with rare and treasured casts. Bourbon for creaminess, sherry for sweetness, and the spice of virgin charred oak. Ooh. All balanced by some of the yeah. oldest whiskey we no. own. Slower, Ed. Slower. The result? A velvet explosion of flavor. <laughs> Bursts of bitter <laughs> mocha, sizzling spice, <laughs> and waves of dark chocolate mellowed by a smooth butterscotch finish. Whiskey as you have never tasted it before. Ooh. Oh my god, open a window. <laughs> 
So while carries no age statement, there are some elements of the distillery's oldest and rarest stock ranging from 35 to 40 year old Highland single malt scotch mm. in this bottle. Mm. Mm. The nose begins with chocolate raisins mm -hmm. and sugared mixed peels, toasted spices, bread and butter pudding and golden syrup complement these aromas with a note of Angostura bitters lingering beneath. Is this your favorite scotch? It it could be. Could be. Would you buy this or two of the Abuna? By <laughs> Abalor. The Abuna. It's tough, isn't it? It is a very tough. Two you know Abalor Abunas or it, one of these? The smell of it actually reminds me of the Abuna. Again, it, it's, <sighs> Man, it's... smell is amazing. Now, as much as I did not like the first, really any of the noses tonight didn't wow me, but this one is definitely special. Sweet and dark fruits. This is the first time that I've smelled cherries on one of the scotches that we've had tonight. I'm not a coffee fan oh at all. I don't drink it, but that's the first flavor I get is coffee. In the taste. In the mean. taste. Well, it says here that the backdrop of the palate is filled with tobacco leaves and freshly roasted espresso beans. Tobacco. And and that's exactly what you get when you taste that. Okay. The tobacco on the smell, it smells like a really fresh cigar. Yeah, so let's... That sweetness. Yeah, like when you're like smell... Like there is a sweetness to yeah, when you smell the that, unlit cigar. That earthy sweetness of a, Very of a fresh cigar. Let's taste it, okay. shall we, Scott? Well, yes. I, I, I've already tasted it. We know. Mm. I watched you, but you're, you're, you've already had it. This is our first time. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. The chocolate it, is immediate. It is not anything what you would expect when you're smelling this on the nose. Oh, my God. It's dark cocoa powder yes, on the palate oh immediately. Immediate. This is probably one of the top five whiskeys I've ever drank. This is, this is tremendous. This is a... I mean, why can't scotch be like this for me on a regular basis? Like, Wait. why does it have to be $220 a bottle? Ed, so what was the difference in the preparation between the nectar yeah, door? What, what makes this a $220 bottle? Yeah, repeat that again for us. Right, well, so he begins with a chocolate malt spirit, okay? Oh. So it's chocolate malted barley. Got you, okay? got you. They put it into bourbon casks, sherry okay. casks. okay. And then the spice of a virgin charred cast, so like a brand new cast, again. Yeah, yeah. Plot to mention, some of this whiskey here is 35 to 40 years old. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, I mean, Jesus. So, think about this. I was 23 years of age. Edge was still able to see his penis then. Oh. Wow. Wow. Shit. Now, be <laughs> because I like you, Joe, I didn't say now only your wife sees it. Or, oh, like, there's so many comebacks. Your I mom could have said, said now only your, your mom, mom sees now it. Now you're in a mom's. But, but that's but, why I felt right, free to right, say that. Because right, I wouldn't I'm, say I'm, any of that. I'm sure that's right. going to be edited. I wouldn't. No, say that. no, that's going to be kept in. Ed Shade is always kept in because <laughs> I'm the editor. Right. So this is extraordinary. Really, this is incredible. This does actually remind me very much of the Abuna. I don't see that. I don't see a direct comparison. Oh, well, the two. maybe we should pour some Abuna. All then. right, get the Abuna bottle. God, I just went back and forth between both of them, and they're both really freaking good scotch. That's close, man. The Abuna is a little bit more uh, floral. Yeah, much more, more. floral. I, yeah. get, I get more of that burning sensation on my tongue. I do get the, the chocolate, though, Scott. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's oh. less chocolatey Chocolate. than the Signet. Yeah. I mean, I really love the Signet. I love it. I just said, and I think it might be a top five whiskey of my life. Like, yeah. 
Actually, I, I really enjoy that you saying that it's top five whiskeys all time. It's yeah, a, it's, you it's know, tremendous. you know that this is a crafted whiskey that hours and hours of time and years and years have gone into. I was excited to bring this to yeah. you guys yeah, yeah, tonight, yeah. and that's why we did this last because we knew that this was special, just the way you were talking it up and the way it was produced, but right. definitely a spicy cocoa. Right. So, woo! Wow, this is amazing. So, I, love I it. think to sum up real quick. Yeah. What we've demonstrated here is the extension of a brand. So you go to Glen Marangi and you have the tenure and you're like, this is pretty good. This yeah, is when you first do it. It's okay. Well, you did it though, Joe. Your first one was the tenure. And then you said, you know what? I think I can do better than this. And then Joe went out and found the La Santa. Yeah, and then La Santa, like, right. go to Scotch. Right. And then he got the nectar as a present. It's $82 or so. It's definitely good. I said it was my fair to the night before the signet. The signet blows it out of the water. <laughs> and then the signet, which is a one of a kind expression of Scotch which I doubt will be duplicated. It's only drank on special occasions, and this is a special occasion. My yes. first night. Yeah, first night on the podcast. First, it should have been a year ago. Right. should have been. I know. Let's do a toast with last of my signet. That's your signet? <laughs> He's trying to undercut me. I tried to toast him so hard that it would tip his glass into mine, and I could get more signet. So um, I want to thank really Joe for bringing six whiskeys setting a personal guest record for the amount of whiskeys brought on one episode beating Anders on the Japanese episode where he brought the two main whiskeys we featured by the way that day yes which is the first time that it ever happened before right Anders says I was not trying to show you up I don't know Anders would appreciate that was not the effort. purposely I Anders I've listened to you many times on this podcast I know you got a jacket <laughs> I'm not even <laughs> right. near a jacket right. Right. Anders right. is like you mad far from a jacket bro so but <laughs> you're four episodes away from a jacket I tell you right now Anders was jealous not to be here for seven scotches he's like wait we had seven scotches and i didn't get any of them <laughs> and, and the signet was on board yeah. so i want to thank joe for bringing those out to me and the toast to him absolutely and his generosity thank you joe thank, so much i want to thank ed and scott for allowing me on here tonight i truly enjoyed myself well you're very well you were a tremendous guest and like yeah. i said you set the record for most whiskeys brought on the podcast right, yeah and we'll have a plaque made up for you uh, that's already <laughs> i i think ed this counts as actually two appearances on the, <laughs> right. the podcast right this is a double jacket appearance so you only have to add three more <laughs> jacket i'm gonna get a jacket oh my god one of these next three or four years we gotta get a 46 long though that's the problem or yeah he's very tall <laughs> he's taller than i am it, it, right that's saying something pretty six five that's six five six, yeah six five it's got six three and a six half six three six three oh, yeah. a little guy little guy <laughs> that's right so listen everybody we had seven great scotches tonight i didn't do bad i hated four of them but hey listen okay three were okay There's nothing bad about that ed <laughs> right, right so for the whiskey tangent podcast i'm ed i'm scott I am Joe. Try something different if you want. And if you got the deep pockets, get the signet when it comes out. It's special. Later. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, be sure to check out our next episode, which is way better than this one. Oh, yeah. Also, follow and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash whiskey tangent and follow us on Twitter at whiskey tangent.
You can follow me personally at that whiskey guy and follow Scott at giant cup of awesome spelled a W S U M just to be annoying. Hey, you can email us any questions, comments, or love at whiskeytangent at gmail.com. And of course, you can find us always at our podcast website, whiskeytangent.podbean.com.